Welcome to the Evolve Move Play podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and enlightening conversations around movement practice and how you can become the most heroic version of yourself through pursuing movement that's relevant to your nature. This is a podcast that's going to feature some of the top movers in the world, some of the most amazing movement thinkers, and people from fields that are related to movement as far afield as evolutionary theory, strength and conditioning, and everything in between. So if you're interested in movement, please stick around. And if you like our work and want to support it, please consider supporting us on Patreon because this podcast is completely listener supported. We don't want to take any advertising. We don't want to interrupt your experience of watching the show. So what really helps us get the best thinkers on, have the time to put these together, have the best quality for you guys as far as audio and video is your support. So please consider supporting us and enjoy the rest of the show. Mark. Welcome back to the Evolve Movement Play podcast. How are you Always doing? Always a pleasure, man. Uh, you know, it's one of the rare opportunities for me to be uh, not the most manly, good-looking, rugged guy in the in the room. So, um, always a pleasure to see you, Mr. Rafe. Thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, so a lot has happened since we last on the, had you on the podcast. So, our last discussion was on building an ecology of practices. And that's been great. That's really that conversation and talking to John Vivek is really moved on. Actually, I did a, an image, a new graphic image kind of based on that. And a couple of others actually got a designer to work on them. I kind of think in pictures. So yeah, that was really helpful. That one. Awesome. Yeah. It's been a continual source of inspiration for me. Um, I've been chatting with John as well. And, and then of course, uh, so yeah, that's actually one of the podcasts that I've been recommending most frequently when people ask. It's like, you know, go check that one out. So if people haven't seen that and they're seeing this for the first time, that one's really a good place to start. So, uh, so that's really cool. I'm glad to have you back. Since the last time we spoke, I've actually come and partaken in one of your workshops. Did I had your big hairy ass for five days. <laughs> yeah. It was good, man. I love spending time with you and you lapped it up and it seems like you've integrated some of it into your own work. So I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I have. Well, uh, let's definitely kind of dive into that. But before that the other big news is you are publishing a book i am adhd boys finally written a book after several half-assed attempts and one of my people collected all my best blog posts and um said look this is basically a book which was a lie but it was a good lie and now i kind of formed it into something that made sense this word embodiment is trending that i'm associated with and there's a lot of shit being talked about it. So I was like, okay, let's get a book out that says what is embodiment. Here's why you might be interested in that. If you're a movement practitioner or a yogi or a dancer, uh, here's some things you might not know. Here's some practical tools and useful shit for your life. Um, and also you kind of, at that point I was like, this is a good book, but I realized embodied teaching is a kind of visceral, emotional transmission. Mm-hmm. it's like trying to make an Excel spreadsheet of why you love your wife. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm going to put a bunch of personal stuff in and put like, you know, I chose like the eight most significant moments of my life and put those in, in a sort of the embodied arc of my life to make it personal, a bunch of poems. And so now it's a really weird, beautiful little mix of um, bite sized pieces of theory, practice, poetry, and personal stuff, which actually sounds weird, but I think actually gives the fullest picture of what embodiment is. If you just did one of those things, it wouldn't work. So as, as a collection, it's, it's designed so you can read it when you're taking a shit, you know, that's how I thought about it. Like each piece is just long enough for a good shit. 
so um that's how I'm imagining the world to look at it, you know, rather than no one has time to sit and read books anymore. That's why our podcasts are so popular, right? Because yep. they can listen to them running around. So this is a sort of book for people like me who are busy and they just want something useful and practical with a bit of emotional oomph to it too. It's kind of an interesting thing. I was actually thinking about reading it to my wife, like reading it out loud. And I think, you know, we, you and I both share deep interest in John Bravicki's work. And, you know, one of the, the ways that he conceptualized things that I think is really useful is this, um, this uh, division of knowledge into the <laughs> propositional, the, uh, the procedural, right? Yeah. Acting it out, yeah. the perspectival and the participatory. Yeah. And it strikes yeah. me that you've written a book, like you might expect that if you're an embodiment teacher and you're trying to make the case for embodiment, there would be a sort of propositional argument laid out through the book and there's an element of that yeah, yeah, um, yeah but what i get from the book is more that it's an attempt at calling forth perspectival or participatory experience right this is what it's like to live in a dojo this is what it's like to have trauma this is what it's like to be in a war zone uh, by the way you should read your wife the poem near the end called kiss okay. and um, just whisper that in her ear so that's <laughs> that's a nice one and um yeah, and also giving people experiences because talking about embodiment is like dancing about architecture, right? It's, it's, it's the wrong medium in many ways. So there's like little experiments, little things people can try. Mm -hmm. And um, that struck me as that combination. It's like you're hitting all the bases at once, you know? You're like, I, don't, I don't fucking know baseball. I'm trying to be American here. Yeah. Like, like, I'm, like you're seeing it from different sides, you know what I mean? So, and, and I think that gives a richer picture of what it is than just... Um, like, hello, here's my embodiment treatise. You know, I'm going to lay out my embodiment theories, you know, but there's also, there's some fucking the clearest thinking for people like you who are eggheads and smart, you know, it's like the clearest thinking about the subject you'll come across, mm -hmm. you know, just very clear, very lucid, very short. And then a lot of people just want practical shit. Like lists are good. It's got a lot of lists in. It's like, here's how to stay embodied at your computer. Here's some ways to be more resilient. Here's, um, you know, advice for your boys and young men. Mm -hmm. um, one of my colleagues that was brilliant read it to his 14 year old son who loved it and his wife went absolutely berserk at him and um, said it shouldn't be the corrupting influence of Mark Walsh I feel like fucking Socrates is, is great it couldn't be a bigger compliment than an angry mum who wants to keep her son a boy you know so um, you know it's just a labour of love it's all of me it's what I got you know what I mean it's like when you lay it on the line and you say this is what I got yeah. And um, it's the best of me, mentally, emotionally. It's my life. Fucking what else do you want? Buy the book. <laughs> it's quite interesting for me as a friend of yours, right? Like, again, like we talk about, you, know, you and I, of course, are going to have a specific dynamic because um, we meet under specific circumstances, often talking online. You know, we have particular interests in common. Um, so I think that, like, the side of you I get is often the very propositional, the very intellectual side. And then also the very like, you know, let's man up, let's broad it out, you know? Like, <laughs> well, I've got so few like men friends in the space <laughs> that when I meet one, I'm like, dude, let's just bump. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's just rare in the space. You know, I'm around like yoga teachers and shit most of the time. Yeah, you just want to soak up the testosterone fumes. I do. Uh, do I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it all though, to be honest. I was just dancing five rhythms. I had like half an hour to dance before this. It's my normal Wednesday night dance. And it's mm -hmm. a thousand year old church, just three streets from my house. And it's got like shit from the Middle Ages in there and like Napoleonic shit from armies. 
and it's got like new age stuff from the female vicars who started coming in 20 years ago and it's got you know i've danced in there when i met daria and then when i was separated from daria and when i before i went to afghanistan and when i came back from afghanistan i've danced in that church for years now and it's there's a power to that place that's generations back it's probably a pagan site before it was a church as well so there's at least a thousand years of people doing shit there yeah. and um and for me in my own life just going there it's local you know it's real local there's people i know quite well in there i saw a few friends and that's different, you know, it's a different vibe. Last night I was doing Sistema, I was doing Russian martial arts, you know, that's just like a different vibe. And then it's like, I had a Rosen bodywork session today, which is real gentle, sort of feminine, gentle, slow bodywork. And, you know, my thing has always been, how do these things fit together? Mm-hmm. You know, how do they fit together? How do we, in our crazy postmodern world full of everything, make sense of all this? In the same way as you've been doing that with movement, I've been doing that with the kind of body mind arts, you know. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's always been the thing. You get? Did you see a little reference to you in there? I did. Yeah. You did. Yeah. You, see, you got a little plug. You got a little plug. You Thank and Edo Patel. The ten Fs. You've you've doubled my list. Fucking right. Yeah. You know, Edo had four or five. You know, you added a couple. I thought I'd double it. Uh-huh. So, I didn't know Edo did the Fs. I heard of Edo. I think you think the original idea was from him, and then you like developed it. It was like fighting fleeing fucking friending you know all these different ways to be human right these different yeah it was like was it bart's <laughs> thingy well guy from berlin who was yeah. yeah i was interviewing him recently and we were talking about this stuff and he you know he's added like crafts and stuff to it it's like where does it end you know what i mean Farming. yeah 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 no it's funny i would have uh, like i definitely was not aware of Vito having having come up with a similar list i would have said that my, my list was almost almost like to say you know, uh, a little bit of a middle finger towards the movement culture because I think a lot of times it gets lost in, yeah. in, 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 in pattern rather than solution, and it's it's about doing these, these these sort of esoteric movements and you know how yeah like you can do a one handed handstand who gives a fuck yeah you think your wife cares about that you think <laughs> your son cares about that you think your dad's proud of you because you know, maybe a bit you know like who gives a fuck like anyway. But uh, Sorry, it's no, it's there. funny. It's cool though if he did. I think that's an interesting thing about Edo. Like, I don't pay as much attention. I don't know to him. him. I don't know him. But, Maybe. Uh, but sometimes he really, he really can. He is extremely charismatic and has a really amazing uh, use of words. So I wanted to we'll just drop that though because I wanted to, to, to say what was interesting for me or what I was kind of getting at is that there's a there's a vulnerability and a sensitivity and. A, yeah idealisticness and a desire a longing for 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 this deeper connection that Mm. comes through in your book that i think someone who is primarily familiar with you say through your facebook postings we're often sort of disruptive and um, (laughs) disruptive surely not um i've got different sides to me i think anyone with half a brain can see there's more to it just provocation and disruption and you know that sensitivity is really obvious i think to most people who've you know looking who aren't who aren't malignly intended and trying not to see it which is not everyone but um i think it's you know most of my students see it like every year on efc you know our big course students will always say oh you got so much softer this year you know and like i'm like no you just saw it you know you realized there was another side and it's pretty vulnerable though. Like I share some pretty personal stuff in the book 
and um you know part of me is like well what am i going to do if um i don't mind if people hate it but like there's some quite personal stuff in there that i go okay my oversharing but it felt like no this is the real deal you know this is the real deal stuff around trauma and childhood and different things and um i don't know if we if yeah, embodiment's about being human so that's fundamentally what it's about it's just about being human like this little practice i share in there which is um not in the version you've had, which is just like um, every time you, the first purchase of the day, um, you just look at the guy, like coffee or whatever it is, you know, and you feel your own body and you look at them and you just acknowledge them as human. It's a real simple practice because a lot of people meditate, but you, I think you need some relational mindfulness, not just solo mindfulness. And not everyone can get to like a circling workshop or something. And, you know, that's really the heart of it as a practice is really something as simple as feeling self, being aware of the other, being aware of the relationship going, okay, how do we, you know, how are we and how do we want to be right now? Like that's really all embodiment is. It's actually quite simple. And then there's a myriad of training tools and techniques, you know, before you know it, you're rolling around on the floor doing Russian martial arts, stabbing your friends, you know? So, yeah. um, let's get into that. Cause that's kind of where, you know, my own relationship to your work has been super interesting in the last little bit. So I got to come to the UIP workshop in Austin and what I realized was that essentially, if we talk about this, this idea that we have been going on about, about the, an ecology of practices, like, yeah, yeah. like the first, I guess the first big realization behind what I'm doing is the idea that, that ultimately the best purpose of a movement practice or any practice is how it cultivates the human being. Yeah. The developing character, the dough, the, yeah. the dough version, yeah the dough of, of, of your art. And if you accept that idea, it really radically transforms how you practice. Like one thing that becomes obvious is that you probably need more than one practice mm -hmm. because you learn different things from different types of practices. Yeah. I mean, like what if people say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I develop myself through my whatever karate or parkour or whatever. Then what if we really took that idea seriously? What would we stress? you know, there's certain things we would stress, certain things we wouldn't, like community, I think becomes big. And then commitment and then balance between different kinds of practicing, realizing one practice doesn't have everything, but then realizing you also can't do everything. So you've got to come make some compromises and how much of that is cognitively led, how much of that is heart led, how much of that is convenience led. You know, there's, there's all these kind of factors and the book lays a lot of that out. And it's the kind of thing we talked about and, you know, embodied yoga principles is the thing EYP that you know you did and that was designed for yogis who wanted to take that idea seriously it was like if you took the idea seriously that your yoga was to develop psychological insight to get off the mat and into your life what would you be doing and it's, it's not the answer but it's one answer to that yeah so what I've been kind of conceptualizing is that there is kind of once you accept the idea that a pra the practice is to develop character you could sort of set up your scope of practices which are the practices that you're going to choose? Like, mm -hmm. How do they interrelate to each other? Yep. So, you know, within what we do with EMP, we talk about mindfulness practice, body integration practice, a body to environment practice, body to, to object practice, and body to body practice. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, and, you know, obviously we could go beyond that. There's dialoguing practices, there's, you know, there's community practices that, that are, are very valuable and, you know, might, might fall within our scope of practice, but aren't something that we've dived deep into understanding at this point. So if we think about that as one axis, then the next axis that I've been really passionate about is 
this axis of how do we optimize the learning? If a jump makes you better as a human being, how do you get right. better at jumping better? Right, 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 right. Like, cause it's like some of the stuff you I've heard you talking on another podcast by incorporating debriefs that I was doing and things like this, you know, like how, like I, I think it was working in the corporate world where they said, listen, we're paying you a lot of money and this is a bit weird, but we'll do it if you'll get the result. So corporate world's very results focused, like martial arts, like, you know, other things. And not actually not that many things, but like martial arts. And they were like saying, listen, you've got to make this efficient because we get that something's going on in this, but we're not going to waste our time or our money, particularly their time. Um, so that really helped me is, to, is to, get, to get really efficient at how do you transfer things off the mat would be the yoga expression, but off the tree maybe in your case. Or, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. From the practice to the life. So, yeah. so we have the optimization of the set of practices, how effectively you practice, yeah. which is like, um, you know, it's learning theory, right? Whatever type of learning. Yeah. My stuff's mostly motor learning theory, but how do you understand how learning operates yeah. um, within the specific thing that you're trying to optimize? But then the last axis this, that I had not fully articulated until I came to work with you, but I've been sort of stumbling towards and building implicit models of, I think, in my work, is how do you get that transfer? Right. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. a jump may have a profound effect on you or it may have no effect on you. Or in fact, all of your practices can be traps that you go <laughs> to feed your neuroses and to avoid confronting the things that you actually have to do in life. Absolutely. Any of your traps can make you just deeper in neurosis, which is how most people are unconsciously picking their practices on some level. Um, just play it even safer, actually. Yeah. And also just people just wasting their time. Like if you really try to get it off the mat is what you're doing working. And when you look around and you see the yogis with huge egos or the martial artists who beat their kids and are alcoholic or whatever, you go, okay, is this working? Really? Yeah. You know? So I think most people can make a case that in any art, there's people that it's been transformative for and people who it really hasn't and may have even gone in the opposite direction. And then, then the question becomes why, rather than just saying that's just random shit happens. Could we actually, um, uh, do that more effectively and that's that's been my life obsession you know for the last 20 years really and it's you know i've done it with aikido with yoga you know working with business clients and uh, ngos i work with in areas of conflict who are like right we've got three days we're going to be in a place where we might get killed next week what tools have you got for us and i'm like okay i want to make the best use of these three days you know so you yeah. better have the right tools and you better have some good learning practice and all the rest of it but um I think the community is one that gets underestimated a lot. I see that at EFC and EYP consistently, you know, the power of, of the group, the power of the community. And I think it's easy to look at this for a very individualistic lens as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the last time I spoke with Ravaki, I was laying out my, my, you know, my set of practices and that was his, he's like, well, where's the community part? You know, how's that? Right, yeah, how's yeah. that an intentional practice within this? Um, and it's also the thing that, that interestingly comes up always through the, the work that we do is how, how impactful community is. And uh, I, I want to dig into that um, with you because I want to talk about the shadow, spa, uh, the shadow side of peak experiences and, um, and the integration phase because I think it's something that is really underserved. Mm -hmm. uh, before we go yeah. there, I wanted to just like really lay out kind of how that's played out for me because you know essentially and I, you know i think this is it's shocking to me right how uh, how well you've laid out this path that does this right it's like 
I, I was looking for a solution to <laughs> at this specific thing, right? And I didn't know what I was getting into when I went to EYP. Um, yeah. But it's such a clear and elegant thing. And it's so clear, obviously having the impacts that I'm looking at, even in the few times. That Remember I, the joke I made at the beginning? I make like the pro biggest problem we have is this works too well. And everyone laughs and I'm thinking you're going to be fucked up in a couple of days and you're going to have to do a lot of intricative work. And then you maybe you're not going to be laughing. Like that is literally the biggest problem I have with that, that work. Is yeah. That and I can test, I can definitely be a testimonial to that. Right. When you yeah. said this is five years of therapy in five days. Right? <laughs> I'm a but tough guy. Mark, I can take it. There's Mark yeah. in, you know, being hyperbolic again. <laughs> <laughs> no, that honestly, that workshop shook me up unlike anything else I've done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm still, I'm still integrating it. And there's, there's struggle involved with that. And I've yeah. also seen like a lot of growth in the way that I relate with my partner, um, in the way that I relate uh, with my students, right? And, yeah. You know, like have had that called out to me by the, um, the staff that I work with, right? Uh -huh. Even like from well, that's real test right life. when when people you care about who are the real people in your life work colleagues and family whatever they're saying i'm seeing something different yeah you know yeah. Re just recently i had a colleague say wow you really regulated well this module i really liked how you took feedback this module and i'm like good because i've been fucking working on that for the last three months <laughs> you know it's like but it's like that's what i kind of without asking when someone forwards that to you it's like okay that's a good test, you know, like yeah. it, a lot of courses say they're transformational, but I'm like, okay, if the people that are closest to you, matter most to you aren't commenting on it without being asked, you haven't transformed. Yeah. That's a very good, a very good heuristic right there. Yeah. I'm talking just to finish maybe a little bit on the um, ecologies of practice. Did you see the graphic in there? I did of all the different body practices where it lays out, mm -hmm the focus of it like does it include language does it include sexuality does it include yeah. partner work and you know one end is meditation and then like yoga and then like martial arts and right at the bottom is like improv and neo-tantra mm -hmm. and it's not to say they're better because they include more in some ways they're worse because it's a wider spectrum of of attention but this like this i think this is another way of looking at what you were talking about before of how refined is the focus how yeah you know, where is that focus? Is it just on awareness? Is it on movement? Is it on verbal interaction? And then the problem is this, every time we simplify life, we take something out of the equation that matters. But if we don't simplify life and make it less consequential, right, which is what a dojo is, a place where there's simplification and less consequence, then it's too real and we can't learn because it's just life. It's not practice. Yeah. And that's the conundrum every time. Right. And again, this is why I think you need a spectrum. Yeah. There's just things that you just, you, if you take them out forever, that's never going to transfer across. Yeah. One of our heuristics that we tend to work with is the idea that you always want to work at the highest level of complexity that allows you to achieve the, the specific thing you're trying to achieve. So if I can get you to fall down and learn how to fall comfortably, and that's my primary learning objective, but within that, you're laughing and you're having fun and you're developing uh -huh. improvisational ability and there's like weird yogic contortion, mobility, strength stuff happening, then that's better than it's just a falling drill, so long as you're actually learning it. But maybe someone comes in and they're so inhibited that they have to be taken back a step. Right, 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 right. That's a, that's a general heuristic. Like one thing I always say now though, is like all of our heuristics fail somewhere. What's this heuristic? Sorry, this is a big word. I don't know. 
Um, a heuristic is basically a, uh, any way we can derive a solution to a problem that is so complex that we couldn't ever find the optimal solution. It's not the form of exercise that uses prostitutes because that's called heuristics. <laughs> Come on, that was a good joke. I just made it up. Fuck you, Ray. Heuristics. 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 So, I just learned a new word. Thank you very much. Every day is a school day. Heuristics. There we go. I don't have any formal training in learning theory. So this is sometimes I don't know the words. And yeah, no, 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 it's fine. I mean, uh, Verbeke talks about this a lot and it's a, it's a really profound realization that essentially um, you can like divide the world of problems into two problems, two sets of problems. One is well-defined problems, right? And that means that you can search the entire space of possible solutions and then you can find the perfect one. So building a rocket is a well-defined problem. Um, and then there's ill-defined problems, which is like, no matter it, it, the the set of possible solutions is so large that it's impossible to find to search it all. So you have to find some set of things that guide you through it, and those things that guide you through it are always also biases. Which are You're, you? Which am I? I think I'm an ill-defined problem. We're uh, all ill-defined problems. Are we ill-defined problems? Is human that, being uh, by nature. Is human being problem. is an ill-defined problem. That's going to be the name of my first death metal album. Yeah. So like, you know, <laughs> we talk a lot about like dynamical systems. Dynamical systems is basically studies of things that are ill-defined problems, right? How do you look at and think about things that are ill-defined problems? Because they're, uh, <clears throat> um, the, 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 their constituent parts create combinatorial explosion, right? So when you, you know, the, the example Verbeke gives is uh, in, an, in a game of chess, you have 30 legal moves on average and you have 60 moves on average per game, which means that the pathways available for the game are 30 to the 60, which is like the number of atoms in the universe. That's a lot. You know, I was actually thrown off my school chess team for physically fighting. <laughs> and like that, that's an ill-defined problem right there. There's a move they're not expecting is for me to come across the chess board at them. You fuck with me. That's that's what that, that's what happened. Ten year old Mark wasn't taking it, so um, that's you not know, supposed to be within the search space. That, that, adds a, that adds a degree of chaos to chess when you when you know there's fighting chess involved. There's chess boxing. Have you come across that? I have. I've heard of that. Yeah, that's interesting. I thought you know you have to like play around and then hit each other in the head. I mean, it's a pretty interesting uh, combination. Sorry, you're trying to have a serious conversation. No, here, I'm but, uh, I'm not. So this. <laughs> Back to EYP. What stood out for you at EYP? Like, what are you going, okay, that's still, I'm still chewing on that some months later. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I'm using a lot is just this idea that within the, within, in trying to um, achieve the transfer effect, we have to first become self-aware, right? And this is something uh -huh. we talk about a lot in the book. How do we have awareness? Uh -huh. So when you're doing a, a movement, are you, are you able to be aware of it? Now, too much attention to awareness and high, high intensity performance yeah, okay. kill you. Um, yeah. yeah. On the other, but you want to have, you want to be in a psychological state where you can at least um, tap into it. Uh, you can at least tap into it post facto, right? You can at least. Right, right. Okay, well, it just happened. Just take exactly. a moment. I'm down from the tree. I'm not fighting anyone now. What just happened? That's the benefit of those little debriefs, right? Yeah, you go. Let's just just see what what just what was the pattern that just played out? Yeah, so we talk about mindfulness, and then you know, like inquiry, 
is that familiar or not right is what's going you, on you won't get awareness of pattern through mindfulness mm -hmm. it's impossible you'll only get awareness of state so this is an important distinction like mindfulness guys are like feel 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 but there's this shit that you don't feel it's the taste of your own mouth is the analogy i give or the comfortable underpants right the, yeah. the patterns of being that it's just what you do and you're never going to feel it so you need ways of exposing that like forms that you get wrong or you know doing different forms and asking which is familiar so we, we have this bunch of principles for exposing these more long-term patterns that are um, uh, not, you're not going to get just from sitting there and feeling. Yeah. And then the next stage is the life linking. Like, where is this coming up? And, yeah. uh, and, then, and then the dialoguing. And so, you know, like I'm not working with the same set of movement materials that you are, but we, we cue people into mindfulness through doing meditations on the retreats. And then we will ask people, you know, really pointed questions about what's coming up and kind of knowing where things might come up within a given drill. And then we ask these questions about familiarity and life linking. Real and, easy, right? Whatever your practice to go, hey, you just took a big risk there. It didn't really seem necessary. Is that something you tend to do? Yeah. You know? yeah. Like real easy to make that link. And then we, um, uh, it, it was very interesting too, because like one, th one question I've had for a long time is I speak very well. And so I can, I can, can spit a lot of words and people can be very impressed by them. Um, and I can get the conceptualization that way, but there's a certain way in which that overshadows their own insight generation. Yes. They're missing their, like a coaching methodology would be one where people learn for themselves. They develop their own insight. And if you're like too clever and you get there too quick, they're like, Hey, I would have, they might've got there in their own words and it'd be more sticky and it'd be more relevant to them. Yeah. The other piece I'd say right for you is, is just hitting people with a lot of intellectual thing isn't mostly what people act upon. Yeah. So like I, I just taught a marketing session in a training I did, but mostly what I'm trying to do is not get across content. People can get that off video or podcast or whatever. I'm trying to emotionally, that's the poetry. I'm yeah. trying to, you know, like, it's like sitting down with your wife and saying, here's the logical reasons you should love me again. It doesn't work, right? You've got to inspire her. You've got to turn her on. You've got to like give her an emotional reaction. That's what advertising does. Mm -hmm. And you know, like John Vivaki talks about the, uh, the sort of bullshit of advertising, but there's that, you know, this is also this positive quality of how we're emotionally lading and connecting things in that personal way. Um, you know, if I'm making a point about being vulnerable, then get naked. Do you know what I mean? If you're, if you're, it's this, this, like right now, it's like, yeah, you can go like blah, 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 blah. But it's, it's like, unless people are hearing something in this conversation, which is viscerally affecting them, then we're wasting their time. There we go. Well, we'll see. I'm, I'm good at the proposition. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the levels. Um, That's good too, right? You've got to have that too. It's good to be clear, you know, like, yeah. like I want to be like a scalpel when I do that and say, yeah. this is my definition of embodiment. It's these two things. It's not that. This is how it's different from mindfulness. It's very clear and specific. But yeah. that's like the dissecting scalpel mind. And actually most embodiment teachers are shit at that because it, it's not what comes naturally to most embodiment people. The other side of their brain is working. Like I'm unusual in the embodiment field that I can have that like um, discernment quality. Because mm -hmm. normally embodiment's about accepting and feeling and opening. It's the all the yes and none of the no. Yeah, we need both. Right. There's the yin and yang, the two sides of the liberal yeah. conservative. Well, so so the dialoguing has been super interesting because it's essentially um, it's brought the insight from the group rather than from the guru, right? And, and so I've stepped back 
a lot in the um in the kind of the 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 amount of words that happen at the seminar and that's been really powerful and it's empowering and people right to get it themselves yeah and then at this last workshop we did the autumn retreat in particular it was like really like what you were just saying it was like i can give them the theory i can give them the information the procedural information about how to fix things in lots of different formats what yep. nothing else can impact like is being there in person and that has to be the things that shift people in a participatory way right the right. deep felt right. emotional um aspects of the work so yeah that that you know continues to reap uh, very large uh dividends for me and that that way of looking at how we go from mindfulness through dialogue as a way of insight generation so we can transfer the effects of the practice um has been hugely um useful for me so uh that is and yeah and, and then that's and i I'm, i was interested in sharing with you this idea of these three axes of practice and see how that sat with you tell me them again i like it i think so it was it was what you choose to practice yeah learning transfer what was the third one so the one that so it's basically the you know it's kind of like the evolution of my own method right the first thing is looking at okay what are the practices you should do the second thing is how should you practice those things to get better at them and then how should you practice to get better at other things uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. i can make you better at the jump and maybe it makes you better at life yeah yeah yeah. i can make you better at getting the effect of the jump into your life yeah yeah, yeah. that's what right. i see uip as as providing a tool set that i assume there's other things out there um but I haven't seen them and it's been nothing really, really nearly as efficient, right? Nothing nearly <laughs> as efficient. And I remember I started off in Aikido doing this. I used to work for an organization called Aiki extensions and the whole thing was Aikido off the map. That yeah. was the whole thing. And I, you know, I traveled around the world doing the stuff with Aikido with them. And then I realized no one fucking did Aikido. So um, I thought yoga was a much more efficient way to do it. And as you, um, some of the students are now, well, I have students who do like Mia and other things, right? And they're saying, couldn't you just call this embodied principles? And I'm like, yeah, I can, but it just happens to be there's a brand around the yoga and most people who come to it are yogis, you know? But there's a system there which gives them a really easy leg up, a really, because they've already got half the poses and, you know, we're actually doing an online version of that. This is interesting to you maybe i open sourced eyp yesterday so eyp is is available to anyone who wants it and i'm in no way policing it at all and that was a bit of a first kind of a brave move but it was well received yesterday when i put that out in terms of our copywriting you know put a hey you look like che guevara today like with your beard and that green shirt I know he's one of your heroes, so um, I'd want to put that out, you know? Apparently, he used to wear a Rolex. <laughs> so, listen, I'm making no sense. You're trying to go in a linear direction, but I've been dancing. It's, it's like it's, the book, right? Um, you know, the, it's like the book. It's kind of like a lot of my teachers are Jewish. And <laughs> there's a, like a Jewish tradition of like a plate of spaghetti where it's all like a mess. It doesn't really make sense. And at the end, you, you've still had a good meal. So it's, it's yeah. kind of like that with this. Not Let's talk about sacrifice. Can we talk about sacrifice? That's a, re a theme that's really live for me around the book. And I know it's one of your favorites. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we're both in the same situation or in a similar situation right now. We're in a situation where we're building something that, that we believe has really profound potential to affect people. Yeah. And yeah. the demands of, of actuating that are are often kind of cutting into our own ability to do the, the regulation and the caretaking and the, you know, living it that we would like. 
let's face it, we both look like I sound like shit today. I've got a cold, and you look like shit. So it's you just told me I look like Che Guevara. I think he's like a famously handsome. You're man. Like an ill. You need a Rolex. You're like an I look Ill like Che Guevara with uh, with like uh, with like tuberculosis. You're like him at the end when he had asthma and the CIA were hunting his ass. Like I'd, I'd, I'd like I'd play that as a board game, you know, like hunt and kill Che Guevara. Um. Okay. So. Yeah, so there's this kind of, I want to cut the shit, right? There's this board, there's this myth that we're supposed to do all the mindfulness and have great self-care. And as an embodiment person, it's almost like a pressure. You should be like so tuned into yourself that you know your edges. And that's really good stuff. You know, I teach self-care boundaries, you know, like getting a good night's sleep. You know, I had my, had my body work today. I managed to find half an hour to go dancing before this interview. You know, I do the shit, you know what I mean? Like I do the stuff. And I'm not unintelligent. I listen to my body. I try and find my edges. And, and let's be honest. Do you know anyone who's achieved anything in their life? Let, maybe just even just fed their kids, but achieved anything in their life who hasn't at some point in their career, at least for some periods, worked in a way which is unsustainable to the point of brutality. And I, I just think this is what men do really well. You know, we sacrifice. It's one of my friends was talking to her dad. I said, what do you like about your dad? She's like, oh, dad's the one who drives all night when everyone else is too tired to. And I had images of her old dad, you know, driving. He kind of didn't want to, but that's what he was sacrificing. So his daughters who are old enough to drive themselves are sleeping in the back of the car, you know? And my mate's around today and he's working on the website for this Embodied Yoga Principles uh, online training. We spent five years getting to this point. And he's tired, man. And he's sick, but he's still coming to my house. And his, you know, his wife's saying, hey, what's going on? You know, you're working with Mark. When's the pain coming in? And he's really working on it. And he's, he's loyal to me, to the work, but he's also trying to provide for the people he loves. And this is so old school, but it's just what it takes. You know, like I'm bleeding from a couple of orifices right now to finish this book. Yeah. You know, like that's what it takes. And it's not easy to finish a book. It's like, it's like a 90s action hero. Every time I think it's dead, it kind of comes back to life and I have to shoot it, fucking shoot it in the head again. The next chapter needs another edit. And everyone who's done a PhD, anyone who's built a business, I, you know, I imagine parenting is easy, but that could be like this. You know, like, like, <laughs> like, like anyone who's done anything has had to suffer a little bit and has had to sacrifice. I've barely had time to masturbate in days, Rafe. You know, it's, 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 it's rough. And at the same time, I'm not complaining because to me, it's all worth it because I'm putting something out, which to me is the best I can do, has beauty, will be giving me income for me and my family for the next 20 years, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a bit of a rant, but I was just thinking about this today and just like my body worker was saying, you work too hard. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm walking an edge right now, which is the very edge of disaster i'm just the right side of it and if i don't get a day off soon i'm probably going to become like the joker and start shooting people but it's like i'm i'm on the one hand you can even abuse yourself more if you have all these embodied and mindfulness skills right so you have to be careful it doesn't become self-abuse it doesn't become a travesty of sacrifice but real sacrifice is still worth something i just want to call bullshit on this myth that we don't have to sacrifice to do to do even reasonable things let alone great things absolutely yeah i'm, I'm dancing on my edge um you know uh we're, we're putting out our first online course next month i've just had two really intense workshops in a row and 
Like I knew going into your workshop, there was the potential that it was going to be a lot to, for me to process and digest. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there are some circumstances within that workshop that made it extra difficult. Uh -huh. um, but that's kind of the, one of the things I want to talk about was this, this idea of the shadow side of peak experiences. Like the yeah. end of the workshop with you, you know, I'm flying high. I'm feeling like, yeah. so, yeah. so much flow state, right? So much peak experience state, you know, same thing with my own workshops. And then very frequently, you know, you get home and you're a little bit depressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I remember, like, this was very confusing to me. So it's like, yeah. if you do the best thing you've ever done, you should feel good, right? Yeah, this happened to me big style. The first time I did a big talk was in Moscow about five or six years ago. A thousand people. Lenin had done a talk in this auditorium, right? Yeah. And it was like top of the world. And then on the way home, I, the taxi driver couldn't understand my bad Russian. I got lost and I got stressed in the taxi. And the next day, I'm just super depressed. And luckily, I've got a friend who used to be a rock star. So I phoned him up. I said, Jamie, what's going on? He said, oh, don't worry. This is normal. Just snort some coke. I was like, no, 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 I don't do that. But it was like, you know, like he sort of gave me some reference. Like the higher you go up, the higher you go down. And that's just normal for like people in theater and movies and you know music and shit. And he gave me some perspective on it. Yeah. I remember reading uh, in the book, The Rise of Superman. They talked about this, the dark side of flow. It's like everybody who does super high performance work, um, you know, the rock climbers, the skateboarders, et cetera, they recognize that like, they're gonna feel so good while they're doing it and they're gonna come back yeah. to it because it's so powerful. But often it's gonna have this dark side on the other side where you're gonna- Addictive tendency to it. And then yeah. the come down, right? And then, you know, I, I start like, I've got so used to sort of intense states through working in war zones and martial arts and high intensity business work that I've been a normal conversation I've got like junky wiring, right? So I'd just be bored and I'd be like, how can I liven this up? <laughs> and it's just like, I just want to say something provocative or sexualize it or insult the person or just be really weird and just do something just cause I'm like, I want to be on my Wait, skateboard. You? <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I say that in England, it goes down well, you know, like you're boring me. So it's like, like, like and you'll see me do that. I'll just throw in some random shots and jokes. I try and do it now in a way which isn't too obnoxious. You know, I did it earlier. But it's like, that's because I want to be on my skateboard. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm used to being in that intensity and you can't live in intensity all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, like dumping, you know, essentially like flow states are associated with like the highest, the highest levels of all of these neurohormones. You just can't have that forever. Yeah, you can't, can't sustain it. putting it out. And so it needs to come down. And when it comes down, it can be very hard. I think for a lot of us, you know, uh, that it can be hard to recognize that and also hard to recognize that that has its own, its own thing, you know, it's its own value. Um, yeah. But one of the things that I always worry about in this type of work, you know, so you, you had a really nice breakdown that you use in the EYP. You say that coaching disturbs your equilibrium and therapy helps you find it. Yeah. So you, I'd say it's good to know if you're doing disruptive work or, or calming or soothing or healing work. And I'm I just, typologically and what I'm good at, I'm not a healer. Yeah. Though integration is still an important thing. And like trying to make time for integration in courses is or actually is unethical not to make time for integration. If we talk about the U curve in, in teach courses I teach, and if if courses end deep in the U and they can accidentally do that, okay, bad luck. But you know, you can accidentally go into a process because you know some there's some set of conditions which is unpredictable. Like I think you had a bit of that. 
but like there should be at least this attempt to get people out of the depth a so they integrate it into their life uh, and b so it's just kinder they're not like i always have this image which is like i imagine everyone's leaving a workshop and they're visiting their dying mum in hospital mm-hmm. and i go okay can they handle that shit at the end of my workshop or they have to pick up their kids from school you know a bit more mundane you know what i mean like if they're in an altered state I don't know. I see a lot of state chasing in workshops. Like, you know, yes. Five Rhythms, where I've just come from, is absolutely notorious for trying to get the high, trying to get the state. And I think the other piece is skills transfer. So often I'm thinking in terms, sorry, skills acquisition. So thinking in terms of skills rather than traits. And also, how do we turn traits into states, sorry, into traits? Like, this is, these are the key pieces for me here. And not just getting that high. Because I used to be a drug addict. You know, if you want to get high, you can just fucking take drugs, right? There's, there's yeah. quicker ways to do it than yoga. So, you know, it just strikes me that the, that the skills acquisition, the life transfer has to be central and not just getting high. The other one I've been thinking about this, and tell me what you think of this, this is new. So I've been reliably getting into deep flow states while teaching. Mm-hmm. You've, and I've found a methodology for it that really works for me. It's getting, I've done a lot of practice of teaching and there's certain things I do, meditation, dance, where I can just go into it. I don't know what I'm saying when I'm teaching. I literally don't know what I'm saying. It just comes out. I don't know what I'm going to do. Sometimes it's bizarre, unpredictable. Usually the feedback I get is like, wow, that was amazing. That was great. That was next level. Where did you think of that? How did you make that connection? And I mean, real flow states, because I think people often have started to confuse just enjoying themselves and being a bit in the moment with real flow. Sure. It's actually quite a difficult and rare thing, unless you're an extreme athlete or something. No. And um, you know what I mean? It's not a normal thing. Yeah. Well, uh, what I think... realized was, how do, you, how do I be ethically accountable? Yeah. When on one level, I'm not doing it and I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. When... I mean, my colleague suggested an electroshock collar that <laughs> they could activate at the right moment. But like joking aside, I'm like, it's kind of an ethical dilemma. If you're not doing it, how can you be self-responsible? I think it's about intention setting because I think you have to like if you want to have high performance yeah. you operate at that you, you you're going to have the highest performance operating in that state so you have to trust what's taking you in there right and what I've seen though is while it's generally ethically also very a high state there's yeah. a lot of kindness in it uh, this is concept of like a residue of ego it's yeah. like you only need one percent arsenic in that water mm-hmm. And this is what I see with a lot of like enlightened masters and things in meditation who just have this little bit of shadow that isn't touched by their work because it's different. It's a therapeutic thing. Yeah. And that little 1% of arsenic poisons the water. Yeah, I saw that post you put up recently on Facebook <clears throat> about the, the detoxification of the founder effect, which I thought was quite- Oh yeah, it was another one. Yeah, everyone's biased. So every founder has a bias. Every founder is bringing their own arsenic to it none of us are totally clean like therapy helps and personally i'm thinking like any leader should be in therapy like this is you know just part of cleaning up your own act doing the trauma work is the other piece i've just been doing another round of trauma work i kind of hit my own trauma pretty heavy like eight ten years back and did some work then and got to kind of good enough level and then i realized there was another level that was making me a bit defensive or a bit hyper aroused or a little bit this or a little bit that i've done like another round of it but that's that's not fun and it's not easy to do when you're busy and it's expensive and it's not fun and you could probably get away with not doing it more or less mm-hmm. yeah so that's <laughs> that's an interesting challenge for us
<laughs> I, yeah. So I, one thing I'm curious about is um, how do we how do we help our community get out of the state seeking? This is what what's interesting. I mean, I would say that my work is is evolving in a in a direction where it's much about self-transformation or self-cultivation or more so than it is about movement competency. And so if you're looking at that space, the people who are talking, mm -hmm. about that, what I see a ton is these people who, you know, they go to Burning Man, they come back, they're depressed. You know, they go to the forum, they come back, they're depressed. And it's, it's like a lot of these things, I think maybe intentionally or maybe unintentionally, it's just as what's rewarded by the, the system. It's like, they have to leave you a little bit unstable yeah because if you are if you are in a place of full integration then you wouldn't have the same desire or need to go back right right it leaves you hungry leave them wanting more and show business right yeah so, you, you want to leave them wanting more and unfortunately yeah. it's like it's like you know a lot of what peak experiences are it's like breaking your frame right flow state is is allowing you to break frame see for uh, see things from new perspectives new insights which is great but if you break somebody's frames too much you just completely disturb them they're just they're they have nowhere to stand anymore sure and, and that experience can be extremely cathartic you know uh <laughs> in um and when i was teaching crossfit they talked about any assholes workout it's like it really doesn't take any intelligence at all to get someone to sweat in a workout. Right. I feel like crying is like any asshole self uh, cultivation technique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it can make anyone cry. It can make a room full of people cry. You know, like, like, yeah. like if I was just a bad person, I'd love to do like co-teacher workshop and just like have a wall chart and see like which of the two of us could make people cry the quickest. <laughs> you know? like I would never do that, but like I could win that game, you sure. know, like if you wanted to do that. So it's, yeah, I think there's, there's a piece. Of, and I think the, the personal growth world is maturing despite Burning Man, despite how things look. I think people are growing up. People are seeing what works. I think some of the mistakes are being made again that were made in the seventies, like with breath work or whatever, but it's like people are learning a little bit quicker the next time around. Um, people are looking for models that hold it together. They are challenging, say meditation teachers to do shadow work. Um, so I do see signs of progress on this. I think maybe we, you know, we give our students enough state highs that, that that's still attractive. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, it's like maybe this there's room for a little bit of that, the sort of state high and this is old states and that sort of thing. As long as it's not the main thing you do. Um, yeah. I think it's a great question though. Like how do we, uh, maybe it's just a, there's just a market for different things. Right. Like not everyone's going to do EYP. I'd say if we got 10% of the yoga market, that would be huge. Sure. Right. Like I don't need more than that for my business. You know, like it's like, like acro yoga came in and they, they took five, 10% of the yoga market. Yeah. Yin yoga came in five, 10%. It's fine. Loads of people do yin yoga now. Loads of people do acro. That's great. Beautiful. Good for them. They're offered something. They've got a niche, right? It's not for everyone. So I think as long as we're kind of clear in what we're offering, there's integrity in what we're offering. What pisses me off is when, when it's not what it says on the can. Mm -hmm. You know, like Russian girl comes up to me in class in Russia and says, I am looking to get skinny to find husband. And I was like, okay, well, you're kind of in the wrong class, but there's another one next door that might be better for you. So like an aerobics class or whatever. And I actually really liked her because she was just really clear and simple. You know, it was straightforward. And what she wasn't was like pretending to be spiritual and actually trying to tease men for validation by having a nice ass. She was just really clear. This is what I want. 
Yeah. And I think it's the, when there's a veneering or there's a dishonesty, that's when it's a problem. Because then you're going head to head with people in a marketplace who are lying, essentially, um, and who might have some sweeties that you don't have to offer. So um, this is where I think it becomes problematic. Sorry, I just used the word problematic. Only assholes use that word. I'll never use that word again, Rafe, on your show. I, I apologize for um, my problematic use of problematic. So, yeah. Did you see the joker yet? Hegemonic. <laughs> um, Hegemony, patriarchal. <laughs> Let's talk about the joker. I saw it last night. My wife said, you need a relaxing evening <laughs> off work. You're working too hard. Let's take you to a film about man's psychological breakdown and psychosis just yeah. to relax. You see it? I haven't seen it. I will probably right. see it at some point. Um, right. Great embodied performance as well. But I, I think like, uh, like between my workshops and your workshop and the work that I've done, like I'm in a definite need for, and in a place of like, <laughs> let's put some blankets on, let's have some tea. Let's read Harry Potter. Disney movie with buddies. My teacher, Paul Linden, does trauma work with abused children and he only ever watches like Disney movies because he's like, it's enough heavy shit in his life. So it's, he yeah. only watches like fun movies. I like sci-fi. It just gets me away from, you know, deep embodied yeah. emotional. No. Like, <laughs> so um, right before, I'll tell you so the funny story about that. So right before I went to do your workshop, I was reading, um, I was reading Nikolai Bernstein. I was reading Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. I was reading, um, uh, I was reading Catching Fire by uh, Jamie Wheel and Stephen Collins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was listening to tons of podcasts that are super deep and difficult. You and know, afterwards, <laughs> afterwards you were watching what? <laughs> watching TV, so, watching American football, watching uh, listening no, no, hip hop. <laughs> in, in in the in the two months after I came to your workshop, between between your workshop and Return to the Source, I read eight fantasy novels. Great, great. I stopped people <laughs> reading smart books. That's my that's my life. <laughs> like, which ones did you read? You got any favorite authors there? Uh, well, oh, you know, what was really good was uh, a series of books that starts with something called Senlin Ascends. It's sort of a I'm not really a huge steampunk fan, but there's a really interesting. Uh, steampunk novel, great characterization. Um, you know, like one of my kind of pet peeves in um, in in fantasy literature. Fantasy literature is extremely left wing oriented, right? It's like the current it's about future possibility. Star Trek is like this composition. It's funny because tra traditionally, like there's this distinction between sci-fi, which is future oriented, progress oriented. Yeah, fantasy, which is often sort of about a utopian vision of the past. It's really okay. Long, okay. In my opinion, Tolkien, of course, is an arch conservative. Lewis is a conservative, but modern fantasy has become very, very associated with like the social justice left. And so you can't like you can't you can't write a fantasy novel now without having, you know, like a, a five foot three hundred pound woman who defeats every man in single combat, right? <laughs> I think that's a realistic um, view that um, young women can aspire to, Rafe. <laughs> you know, I, I went through it. This is, uh, do we want to get into this in the last five minutes? Am I about to, uh, this may be a better topic for another one. By talking well, let me just say this. You and I can have a conversation about, uh, about polarity and understanding and, and like recognizing yeah. the different constraints that men and women have and why that yeah. provides a, a more real embodiment and a, and a place for healing um, in another conversation. But, well, I just wanted to say this about Sen Sense. They have some 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 badass female warrior characters, but they're really, really well. Uh, they're really 
well done. They don't come across as if you wrote a male character and then just changed their pronouns and gave them tits and had people admire them. Uh, and that that's fine. My, my wife's Ukrainian. My wife could kill your wife. Just, <laughs> you know, like my dad could beat up your dad. That's, we've got a new version of that game. You have a Ukrainian wife, you win. <laughs> my that's, wife's been training Muay Thai for a long time and she's extremely strong. My wife's survived generations of starvation. <laughs> <laughs> well, so she'd be better in a starvation. That doesn't mean anything about how she was in a fight. So that, that, <laughs> that means that, no, you know what? I'm not going to go there because she might listen to this. Love you, darling. Okay, so the book, back to the book, enough of Ukrainian wife death matches. So uh, I'm going to plug this shit. I've been in America. I know how to do this. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, if you go to theembodimentbook.com, you can get a free chapter and there's some of the graphics we've been talking about and quotes from John Bavaki and about 30 other embodiment teachers saying it's awesome. Um, so you can go there and if, if Rafe releases this on the right day, it should be available at Amazon as well. And I'm doing a special deal on launch day where I'm doing all my online products for free. So it's like a few hundred pounds worth of stuff um, in dollars. I don't know what that is now after Brexit, probably a few hundred dollars worth. And uh that's for free for on launch day so if you're hearing this on let me get the date here let me get the date if you're hearing this on this i should know this off by heart now there we go the 28th of november then you could also if you buy it just email me i'll send you a code the code is free shit oh i shouldn't have said it uh it's another code and you'll send you the code and you'll be able to get all my stuff for free but basically in the embodimentbook.com i'm tired it's 10 o'clock at night rafe was that a bad ending i'm supposed to do this like american call to action i don't know man <laughs> the embodimentbook.com there we go go check it out thanks for having me on rafe it's always it's always fun yeah absolutely. and when we stop pressing record i'll tell you some real shit as well i can <laughs> Uh, Mark, always a pleasure. Um, I can't recommend it highly enough that people check it out. It's really, uh, I, you know, I've been reading it and like I said, I'm going to read it to my wife for, uh, instead of TV. So it's going to be good. I don't, I don't want to know what happens, man. I don't <laughs> know. But if there's a kid that happens, you're calling it Mark, whether it's a boy or a girl. That's the only conditions there. <laughs> okay, man. It's a pleasure. Always. Thanks for listening to the Evolve Move Play podcast. If you really like the content we're putting out, make sure to leave us a five-star rating and a review. It helps tremendously in getting the word out about what we're doing. And of course, you really want to support us. You can support us on Patreon. This is a listener-funded podcast. And through your funding, it allows us to have the best equipment and to attract the best guests and build our audience. So we really appreciate it if you do those things. And we look forward to talking to you next time.